Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Be there was a man who... Uh, this, one, this man, he went and got drunk at a bar, and he was, you know those angry drunks when they get mean? And he came home, and he tried to pass out on the couch, but his dog kept barking. And he got mad, and he got up and whipped the dog. And he went back to bed. Well, the dog starts barking again, and it makes him even worse. He gets up, and he beats the dog some more, and then finally, the dog just won't be quiet. Finally, he beat the dog so bad, he killed the dog. And then he went and passed out. Well, the next morning he wakes up. He's sobered up a little bit. He looks around his house and he notices that somebody robbed his house. And he realized that dog was barking at the thief that was hiding in his house. What I'm trying to say is that I'm here to tell you a story and relate it to things going on in our world today. Satan's trying to steal from you, but don't beat the dog. I'm trying to warn you, okay? So let's go through 1 Samuel 4 and verse 1. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Israel went out to battle. Okay, all of a sudden here we have this war here. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Okay, the two worst guys that could be around the Ark of the Covenant, these goofballs that are abusing their priesthood position. So anyway, the thing I want to ask you here uh, to take notice of is when did Israel send for the Ark? Before the battle? Or did they wait until they started losing? They waited until they were losing to send for the ark. That right there shows you where God ranked on their priority list. He's not first. Now, here they are losing a battle, and the ark is 25 miles away. To send for the ark is no quick deal. That's a long way off. Does anybody see anything wrong with this military strategy here? Back in Joshua's day, Israel consulted with the Lord first before they went into battle. Y'all remember that? That's the first thing they did. Guys, before you go into battle and you've got them and more coming, the first thing you better do is ask God what he tells you to do about it first. But here in 1 Samuel 4, I don't see anywhere where anybody prayed. No one asked the Lord's guidance first. Nothing. What caused them 
to forget how to do things right. What caused them to forget how to consult the Lord first like they should have known under Joshua? Well, they were corrupted under the sinful leadership of these wicked priests. That's what was wrong. 1 Samuel 4 and 5. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now, when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter. And there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. This is tough stuff. You notice the Philistine says, woe to us for these gods, these gods. Is there more than one God of Israel? No. Why did the Philistines say God's plural? Because that was their way of thinking. They had, a, had numerous gods. So this is not biblical evidence that says there's more than one God. That is merely coming from the Philistine mindset. Okay? So I want to take you back to when the Lord told Eli that this was going to happen. Back in 1 Samuel 2 and 34. Hophni and Phinehas shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. God told him that two chapters ago. And so now here we are in chapter 4. And that's exactly what happened in this battle, is it not? So what the Lord said would happen had been fulfilled. Guys, I want you to remember, whenever the Lord says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. When the scripture says, call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved, you know what that means? It means you'll be saved. Okay? Take comfort in the promises of God. So he said it would happen, it got fulfilled. But when you consider that this battle fulfilled what God said would happen, then you can see that the Lord is the one who actually sent the Philistines to fight Israel. Now, wait a minute, Ray. God would never do that. Yes, he would. It's right here in the text. And I've got a lot more to go on this. Well, just hang with me. But why did God do that? Why did God send the Philistines against Israel? Because Israel was in sin. Willful sin. And God brought in the Philistines to use them as instruments of judgment. You see, Israel, what they had done here, as we read so far, they tried to pack God into a box. They tried to turn the Lord into an object that they could carry around only when they needed him. We'll stick him in this box. When we need him, we'll go get him. Not until then, not until we really need him, then we'll go pick him up. They thought that bringing the ark would prompt God into serving them. While all this time, they had not been serving God. God is not someone that asks you how high when you tell him to jump. And that's the way they treated him. Now, God does not obey us. We obey God. God does not consult with us. We consult with God. We don't command God. He commands us. And so let's ask the question again. 
Did God send the Philistines up against Israel? The answer is yes, he did. Why? Because Israel was in willful sin and they had a twisted view of who God is. Therefore, they could not stand before their enemy. Now, that's for any of us. You want to stand before your enemy, before your trials? You get God off the back burner and bring him to the front priority of your life. Don't pack him down in your box and only pull him out when you need him. 1 Samuel 4 and 12. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. That means he was in battle. That's also a sign of distress. The Jews would rip their clothes and throw dirt on their head as a sign of distress. So he came with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came to the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, what happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas are dead and the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died for the man was old and heavy and he had judged Israel 40 years. A judge of Israel was kind of like the president of the United States. He, he, he ruled Israel and that's, that's what that means is he was, he was a judge for 40 years and this shocked him so bad he fell over and died and his sons are dead too. The, guys, this is one crazy event. Can you imagine something going down so bad that we had a, all thousands of people just dying and it, and, it, and it took out the ruler of the nation? Guys, my, the name of my sermon today is called 1 Samuel 4, Dead Serious. Dead Serious. And God is dead serious when it comes to sin. And now, not just the two sons, but Eli and his two sons are gone. They are now dead. And they did not go out peacefully and they didn't go out calmly. They went out tragically harsh. Guys, I'm just stating the obvious of what's written in God's word. Well, I don't believe in that. God would never do that. It's here. It's in the book. Take it up with God. I didn't write it. What we see here is that willful sin, it kills. Willful sin destroys. The wages of sin is death. It says that. That's what sin does. It'll kill you. And this was the end result of Eli refusing to deal with the sin that was in his house. He would not get control of his two boys who were priests and set them right. But guess what? Things are not over yet. It's still going to get worse. 1 Samuel 4 and 19. Speaking of Eli here. Now his daughter-in-law, Phinehas' wife, was with child due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead... She bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. 
because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Okay, guys, Ichabod, the name Ichabod means there is no glory. There is no glory. And so not only did Eli and his two sons die, but also Phineas's wife died too, all on the same day. This is what sin does. That sin out there that the world's saying, oh, it's okay, go ahead and do it all you want to, that's what it does. You can't stop it. So Ichabod, though, I got to thinking about this. It means there's no glory. How many of you would like to walk around every day of your life with a name that means there's no glory? I mean, you're marked. (laughs) Dude, what happened when you showed up? You know, I wouldn't want to have a name like that. That's what sin does. It ruins people's lives. It kills. It destroys. Now, I want to try to get us into the same mindset with the Israelites here. This is something we need to do. We need to understand how they are perceiving all of this, the, the ark being taken away. The ark, it represented the Lord's presence with Israel. We have today, since Jesus died on the cross and made the way, now the Holy Spirit can come and indwell us. And that's very important. But at the time, Jesus had not come and died on the cross yet. The Holy Spirit had not yet been sent. But the Lord did want to dwell with the people. He didn't indwell them, but he wanted to dwell with them on the ark. In 1 Samuel 4 and 4, let's remember what we already read. It said, when they sent for the ark, so the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. Who dwells between the cherubim. Put that cherubim picture up there. That's what the ark looked like. Now, I know some of y'all probably saw Indiana Jones and all that, and, and it's all, we all kind of have a familiar basis on what the ark looks like. I remember when that movie was coming out, we were freaking out because we actually got to see what the ark looks like, okay? But now you're all familiar with it already. You've probably already seen it. If you haven't seen it yet, you need to watch it. It's a cool movie. Anyway, but this is what the ark looked like. That's what the ark looked like, the cherubim. That's those two angelic beings on the top. Isaiah 37 and 16 says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. And so since the ark was where God dwelled, the people of Israel thought that bringing the ark with them would cause God to jump into action. We're going to make God act for us. So we're going to get the ark in here and then God's going to go, oh, okay, there's a battle. All right, I'm getting into this now. They didn't ask his, his, his battle plan up front. They were wanting to cause God to jump into action. What they had done in thinking like this was they had limited God down to an object, thinking that he was incapable of getting involved in their battle unless they carried him in. So that once God found himself being carried in to the battle, then he could finally do something about it. That's not how God works at all. They reduced God down to someone that was supposed to obey their prompting to act according to their will at their command. So that's why they said, hey, we're losing. Somebody go get the ark. That'll get God to do something. No. And so now that the ark had been taken away from them, in their mind, the Lord too had been taken away. Their perception was that God got stolen. Is this hitting y'all yet? They lost their little magic good luck charm, the ace up their sleeve that they thought they could pull out of their pocket and use it whenever it suited them. Guys, I know Americans that do that today with God. 
Did you notice when we read, did you notice how Eli did not really react when he heard his sons were dead? Did you notice it wasn't until verse 18 when he heard the ark had been taken, then that is when he reacted and fell over. It's almost as if his son's dying was not that big a deal to him because he knew it was coming. It was foretold. But Eli fell over from shock because I think Eli actually came to believe that the Lord was so weak that God had actually been captured and that God had been dragged helplessly away by the Philistines. This weakling God that can't stand up for himself. God is, now that God is now a prisoner of the Philistines, what are we to do? And it shocked him so bad he couldn't take it and he fell over. Gone. Do you see how distorted everybody's perception is right here? This is what happens when you live under sinful leadership. And guys, we're under it. Be in the word of God daily like it's air. Breathe it. Their perception is distorted. Now, I mean, another example, look at Phineas's wife. She named her son Ichabod. There is no glory. We have been given enough information in the Bible that shows us how the Israelites viewed the Lord. They perceived him as a weakling who was so small, who was so weak, he was so controllable by men, he was so able to be stuffed into a box that now even the glory of God was gone, blown out like a candle. And so they were so accustomed to using God as a manipulation tool that they may have even thought that God was easy enough to be manipulated by the Philistines to turn back against them. I mean, you got to get into this Israelite mindset of that day, the way they were taking all this. And when I read stuff like this, I think to myself, you know, the Israelites, they should have known God's character by now. Don't you think? Don't you think God had proven himself enough to them already? And just because God dwelled between the cherubim. That does not mean that he cannot be everywhere, that he's not omnipresent. Sure, he dwelled between the cherubim, but not only between the cherubim. He could be all over the place at once. They should have known that God cannot be hauled away against his will. Israel should have known their God by now. So then why didn't they know him? That's my next question. How come they didn't know him? Because they were in willful sin. Willful sin will mess you up. It'll tweak your mind up. It'll jack you up bad and you won't be able to perceive anything properly. Every time willful sin has its way with a culture, that culture's perception of God gets twisted. And this is where I'm going to bring in the application that we can use from 1 Samuel 4. Now that all this has been, stage has been set. Our culture today is in willful sin. I don't have to give you any examples to prove that. You, you already know, <laughs> don't you? Turn on the TV, you'll see it. They're saying out there, sin is no longer sin. Our culture is teaching that you have the right to do whatever you want to, and that it is God who gives you that right to do it. And what's even more troubling is that many people who think they're a Christian are the ones who are pushing this twisted lie. They're all calling themselves Christian. I saw people debating about a subject I don't even want to touch right now. They were debating it. And both sides were attacking each other. And both sides were saying, I will pray for you to see it my way. Something dead wrong with that. 
There are people claiming to be Christians. I have met them and I asked them this question and I often get the same answer. There's a lot of people who are claiming to be Christians who have never once in their lifetime read one single chapter of God's Word. Ever. When I was teaching the Bible college, uh, the, the, the college age group at a church I used to go to, I said, you remember that story over in, in, in the Bible? No, no. All the kids said no. I said, well, you know, you've read the book of John. No. Have you read one chapter? of the? No. Have you read any chapter? No. And that was when I first started for the first time in my life. That was the first time I started doing line by line. I said, we're going to hit the John 1. I took my message for the day and put it aside. And I took these kids all the way through the book of John, line by line. They had never read one verse in their lives. And it takes the first chapter of John probably takes five minutes. That's what culture is doing to our Christians today. And they suffer for lack of knowledge. Such Christians as this are left to serving a false God, not the real one who exists in the Word of God. Such Christians as this never serve God because He is just flat not worth their time. And He's certainly not worth their obedience. How many people do you know of that call themselves Christians, but they don't do the things that God's Word commands to do? They're just not doing it. I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to... Nothing that God told us we have to do. They're not doing it. He's not worth their obedience. And so they use God's name like a good luck charm to drag him into their situation to try to prompt God to performing for them whenever they want him to. Other than that, God sits on the back burner until they find themselves in another problem again. And that's what the Israelites just did. We're not, call, we're not going to get God until we get in trouble. We're not going to ask him, what should we do? Where should we go? How should I deal with this trial that I'm in? I'm not asking God anything. Well, I'll wait till I get in real trouble, then I'll ask him. Not worth the time. Americans, not just Americans, the world, they have stuffed God into their own little box. Who is supposed to behave in a way that makes them feel good. Which means that he's not going to do anything about their sin. Now, what did we see God do in the book today? He did something about sin. He's dead serious about it. But today, people think God's not going to do anything. He just wants me to be happy. He wants me to live my life however I want to. You know people that are doing this. We all do. If everybody who claimed to be a Christian honestly knew who God is, if they knew his promises and commands, and also knew the judgments that God said he will execute for disobeying his commands, then there would be a lot more repentance today than there is If people knew, that's why I'm standing here telling it. That's why we're pumping this recording out over the radio to people who are out there not coming in. They got to hear something. There would be a lot more repentance than there is. I want you to take notice how right after the Lord told Eli and Samuel that judgment was coming. We did that in the past chapters, past couple chapters. He said, judgment's coming. Your sons are going to die. All of a sudden, in chapter four, the Philistines just show up. Did we, were we given a reason why they showed up? No. Poof, they're just here. Did you happen to see that? I did. They just happened to show up and Eli and his sons were killed, which fulfilled what God said was going to happen. He said, Eli, I'm removing you from the priestly line. You were not keeping control. You did not rebuke your sons. You didn't handle this the way I told you to. And your sons are going to die on the same day. And all of a sudden, here's the Philistines. He sent them. The Lord is dead serious about sin. Problem is, most people won't, don't believe that God would do such a thing.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.